You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry. This is season two, episode five. We have been on break for a little while between the holidays, and I have been uh, out of commission due to some intensive graduate study classes, but we are back and uh, ready to rumble. Welcome back. No sympathy for self-inflicted wounds, Carissa. I know. That's one of your favorite, favorite things to say to me. It's good, though, that you say that to me. I need that in my life. Yes. And graduate school is always a self-inflicted wound. That is is true, especially when you get to this level where it's doctoral work and I have nobody to blame. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. You, You have a job. A job that you will keep regardless of whether or not you finish this degree. Correct. Correct. Um, I mean, I could make an argument that I have the Holy Spirit to blame, but that's Mm. kind of a lame argument. It is, because you can channel that in lots of different directions. It is It is. Can you channel the Holy Spirit, though? You can channel the energy (laughs) that you have been given by the Holy Spirit. You can... You can negotiate exactly what your call to ministry is. I do not think it's so specific as you will do doctoral work at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary beginning in the spring semester of 2020. I don't think it's that specific. I beg to differ that sometimes it is, but I think that's a whole other episode where we dig into some pneumatology, perhaps. Mm, perhaps. Uh, oh, Pentecost is coming. Pentecost is coming. Isn't it always? Well, I mean, that's a theologically sound argument. I'll give you that. Hey, so, so we're, we're we recording are... a little bit late this week. We're talking at the same time again. We're recording a little bit, a little bit late this week um, because I was in classes and then sick. So we're actually recording on hopefully the day we'll be releasing, which is after we have preached the sermons. Yes, and today is Martin Luther King Day, the day out of the year that we celebrate the life and work and accomplishments of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it does seem kind of strange to be recording this now because we've already preached on the texts that we had yesterday, but I think it is always worthwhile to stop and take this time and remember Dr. King and why he is important for all Americans, all Christians, and us as Presbyterian ministers. Absolutely. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with you, and I didn't want to miss recording this week, even though it's a little weird to be. This has become, for me, uh, an important part of my processing and planning for my sermon, actually, are planning these podcasts and recording them. Uh, so it is a little bit weird, but I'm glad that we're that we're doing it. Yeah, like, likewise, they they I find that the weeks when we don't record a podcast, I spend a lot more time writing the sermon than on the weeks <laughs> when we do prepare a podcast. That, I mean, that's good <laughs> that you're spending that time still on your sermon. That's sort of a key element of our vocation. So, what was your sermon title yesterday? My sermon title was To Abide or Not to Abide. Interesting. 
Interesting. Mine was I Need You to Survive. Okay. That was one of the songs that uh, the choir sang at our uh, Freehold Area Clergy Association meeting last night, or not meeting, worship service in honor of Dr. King Mm. last night. I love that. It's one of my favorite, favorite songs. Mm. It it was totally appropriate last night. And uh, yes, well chosen. Yeah, so this is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I always extend that to the whole weekend. I make it a point to address that during the worship service on Sundays, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially as we're in this season of Epiphany. I know that's debatable if Epiphany is a season or if we go into ordinary time. I like to think of this first chunk of ordinary time as the season of Epiphany. Uh, because it's such a dark season physically, like actually in the world with the, the sun and the orbits and, the, and all of that stuff. And the axial tilt. Yeah, the axial tilt, all those big 10-gallon words that you like to get into podcast episodes. Tilt. And, uh, <laughs> isn't that what I said? <laughs> yeah, that's a big <laughs> word, tilt. <laughs> so ax- you said axial. Come on. People don't just drop that into conversation like lightly. Well, we're talking about light and dark and seasons, and axial tilt is the reason for the seasons. I so, thought you know. Jesus was the reason for the season. Seasons. <laughs> anyway, wow. We're like two minutes into this, and we're already in the weeds. So anyway, I like to dwell in this idea of, of light for a while, and the idea that the revelation of Christ, the light of the world, was opened up to all people. And... We live in a world that has not been open to all people. No, and that is a big reason for acknowledging Dr. King's work. And I, I will say just from a selfish perspective, I spent a lot of time outside of church. I kind of drifted away when I was in college and didn't even realize what was missing in my life. Mm. But one of the things that always stuck with me was the importance of the civil rights movement and the thing that you can't, the thread you cannot pull out of that history is the work of members of the clergy. King being the best example of that, but my goodness, it was the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. It was a whole network of African-American clergy with a little bit of assistance from white clergy across the religious spectrum, including Rabbi Heschel, including some Catholic and Orthodox bishops, and the the handful of white Protestant leaders who got themselves on the right side of history. And so even when I was not going to church when I was not thinking about religion, the memory of the fact that a bunch of people who had organized their lives around their Christian faith or Jewish faith, standing together to end this injustice was a powerful thing for me. Yeah, that was a powerful thing for a lot of people. And it's a powerful thing that I feel like many branches of the church have forgotten. I've heard people say, oh, racism's over. It ended with the civil rights movement. 
And that is blatantly untrue. It is, but I think a lot of our congregations don't want to go into uncomfortable places. And it's easier just to say, oh, let's leave that stuff in the past. It was uncomfortable then. Why do we have to go back to it? Yeah, I, th- I don't think any of us wants to go into uncomfortable places, right? It's not just our, our congregations. We as clergy don't like to go in uncomfortable places either. Well, those of us who go on international mission travels to parts of the third world maybe have a little bit of a thing for going into certain types of uncomfortable places. I feel like that was more of an accusation than no, a general no, observation. It, it, it's an observation because it includes me too. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been um, to more than one or two of those places. That's an interesting thought, though. You and I have both traveled the developing world a bit. Uh, I trend, I tend to go out of the country at least once a year and generally to somewhere most people might not consider a great vacation <laughs> spot. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's this level of like tolerance for discomfort that you can build up. Yes. Though. Like you can learn how to be comfortable going out of your comfort zone. If yes, that makes sense. it does. And, and so, you know, once once you have done one missional experience in the developing world, each successive one is less scary. I don't know that it ever gets truly comfortable, but uh, it, it you, you you know a lot more about what to anticipate, and it is not as opaque or frightening for those reasons. Yeah, I was just about to to say it's not as scary to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, as it was before. It's our um, my churches are looking into reinvigorating, reenergizing a partnership with a church in Malawi, mm-hmm. and bringing in a third church. Our presbytery is looking to build up relationships between churches in Pittsburgh and in um, South Sudan. And we're actually looking at bringing a South Sudanese con- congregation into the, like a three-way partnership together. A tripartite partnership? A, you could say that if you wanted to. <laughs> and uh, and it was funny. All the, I found myself realizing that that would mean that every so often we would be sending someone from the congregation to Juba in South yes. Sudan, which is kind of war-torn. Right now, there's tribal civil war going on, refugees fleeing into Uganda. And um, I thought, well, it's probably the scariest place I've been, but it's not, you know, it's not like Iran. No. (laughs) I thought, oh, how much I've changed since that when I went on my first international trip was to Guatemala about Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. And that was terrifying. Yeah, and I'm, I'm coming up on 10 years from my first trip, which was Nicaragua. And and again, it, was, it wasn't something that I was really afraid of going to, but I just had no idea what to expect. And I have not yet been to South Sudan, but I was on a roster for a trip that fell through. So I, I also had found the courage to go to, you know, a war zone. And 
and say, okay, this is the calling. And if, if there is an opportunity to go there and serve and learn and bring this experience back to my congregation, I will do it. Unfortunately for me, that opportunity didn't pan out that time around. But the other thing about those sorts of international and missional opportunities is once you've engaged in a couple of them, you realize that the opportunities will continue to present themselves. Yeah. And this is not all to say that we think that everyone needs to go hop on a plane to Juba right now. (laughs) Um, It's more, I think, to say that Um, If you find places where you are uncomfortable, you're out of your comfort zone. And for a lot of people, that might even just be going to a church service in a different cultural setting, right? Going to um, an AME church. Right. If you're white Presbyterian, go to an AME Zion church. If, um, you know, if you're Pentecostal, go to a Presbyterian church. Um, That'll be very uncomfortable for you, my dear Pentecostal friends. Uh, and, and you know, experience something different because that's how we learn and grow and change and hang out with some people who maybe make you a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And not only will that start to become less scary, but you're going to build up friendships that you would not have in any other way that are going to bring so much richness to your life. Right. You you need to lean into the discomfort. Um, that that little bit of discomfort is often a sign of something you need more exposure to. Not always, but when you are in some of these theological places or contexts, when you recognize you're out of your element, lean in. But we have uh, drifted a little from our topic of the day. I don't know that we've, I don't know that we've drifted a whole lot from our topic, though. Um, at least in the in in primarily white congregations, which are where I find myself now. Yes. There tends to be. There tends to be this disinclination. I can use big words, too. There's this disinclination toward uh, engaging in racial reconciliation. And that is not because people are bad people. No, it's not because they are virulent racists. Right. It's because talking about the fact that the civil rights movement, which was this huge piece of our country's history, didn't get rid of all the racism. That's uncomfortable. That is uncomfortable. And there is also this notion. um, I mentioned it in my sermon yesterday, but uh, Dave Carver last week in his sermon talked about a lot of conjecture in the scholarly world about the identity of the servant in the servant songs from the book of Isaiah. And His argument is that it is left intentionally vague because we are all supposed to stand up and be the servant. But we like the scholarly articles that suggest an identity for the servant because then if it's established that the servant is 
the Emperor Darius or the servant is Jesus or something like that, then it doesn't have to be you or me. Somebody else is already doing that work and we're off the hook. It's so nice when we're off the hook. Isn't it though? It makes life so much easier when we're not the ones who have to do the hard work of serving the people around us. Or the difficult and challenging work of reconciliation. Yeah, reconciliation is hard, man. It is. You have to let go of certain parts of your identity. And I think deep down, if people know that that's what's involved in the work of reconciliation, they don't want to admit all of the things that they want to hold on to. Yeah. I don't know how much I have shared on this podcast about my trip to Rwanda last year. Have I been obnoxious about that on the podcast yet? Not about that, no. <laughs> That's fair. I'll accept that. <laughs> Please continue. I, so we saw reconciliation in Rwanda in ways that should make us ashamed of ourselves for our inability to reconcile with one another. In in Rwanda, for those of you who don't know the whole story, I was in high school when the Rwandan genocide happened, and I remember vaguely hearing about it a little bit on the news, but it wasn't at the forefront. And holy cow, it should have been. Um, long story short, European colonists came into Rwanda and said, these people who have more, they are one race. These people who have a little bit less are another. Meanwhile, these, these words that had been used in Rwanda, Hutu and Tutsi, had originally just been social classes. And you could maneuver between one social class to the other. Uh, it was blurred lines. It just meant whether you had cows or not. And if you lost your cows, you became another social status. But it, the folks from the West read that as being tribes and separated these people as tribes and separate races and came up with all sorts of goofy ideas about where one race came from versus the other. It was European colonialism at its most grotesque. Maybe not its most grotesque, but it was pretty not great. Yeah, it's it's the enduring legacy of that uh, colonial period. And yeah. it just led to a lot of horrific outcomes all across Africa. Yes, absolutely. And in Rwanda in particular, um, for many decades, actually, before the 90s, when things really came to a head, it was bad. And in the 1990s, a million or so Tutsis were murdered, massacred, genocide, awful, people driven into hiding in churches and schools and then turned over by headmasters and priests and slaughtered. Um, Entire churches full of people hiding were bulldozed. And today, 25 years later, perpetrators of genocide and family members of their victims are living in the same communities together peacefully. They are worshiping in church together on Sunday morning. They are sharing meals together. 
and treating one another as family, building homes for one another. And wow. <laughs> yeah, that that's um it certainly seems like that is a much bigger gulf to cross than uh, two members who won't speak to one another because of a fight at a session meeting 30 years ago. But I think that was definitely something that Dr. King saw. And mm -hmm. he lived the horrors of racism and growing up in the Jim Crow South and saw that not only did laws need to change, but hearts and minds needed to change. And he could lead a mass movement to get the laws changed, but he also recognized the psychic toll that racism takes on white people, too. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think that it is our scriptural and just straight up ethical <laughs> obligation to address the issues of racism that are still out there. If a woman who lost her mother and father and husband and most of her children in a genocide in the 90s can today say, I bring this person who participated in that into my home to eat together because scripture says we need to be reconciled to one another. We can admit that we are still participating in systems of injustice that are doing damage to entire communities of people here in our own country. And it's not to say to let people uh, run over one another, right? The, the men and women who participated in the acts of genocide in Rwanda have come forward to the families of their victims and said, I'm sorry. And what a terrifying step to take. Yeah, absolutely. To, to, to be willing to say, I caused your pain. I was wrong. That's amazing. We, we won't, we won't acknowledge being wrong when we just say something insulting or uh, clueless that ends up being hurtful. You know, we get we get defensive when we're called out about the language that we use that might be hurtful. <laughs> and this is somebody, you know, that you're talking about who has perhaps committed murder. Not perhaps. <laughs> well, okay, not perhaps in your story, but in your particular story, but right, right. you know, or, or someone who has participated in the violence that leads to murder being committed by another, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy when you, when you ask people, like, how could you do this? Like, how could you find, ask for forgiveness? How could you offer forgiveness? The answer is because that's what scripture says. Yeah, that, and that is a much higher view of the authority of Scripture than, frankly, a lot of American Christians have. Yeah. I, uh, and I, in, in Pittsburgh, my dear 
sweet Pittsburgher friends who I love, we need to take this very seriously. Um, There is a study that came out recently that notes Pittsburgh as being one of the worst cities in the country for people of color. That is shameful. Yeah, it is. It is a really tough, um, tough reality. And it is so difficult when I see those sorts of studies that come out that are a reminder of how different my experience of Western Pennsylvania was as a white person and my African-American brothers and sisters in Christ have a completely Mm -hmm. different relationship to it. Yeah. I think that my, uh, my, my practical advice to all of my white Pittsburgh friends is go hang out with some people of color, not just a little bit, but like become deep and intimate friends with them mm-hmm. because you're going to find that racism is not dead and it's actually a real big problem here. Correct. I had to talk, I had to, to talk very differently with my, uh, with my adopted black son about how to interact with police. If he's pulled over, then I'm going to have to talk with my little white son when he mm-hmm. starts driving. Correct. And, that's a load of shit yeah. <laughs> right there, yeah. frankly. Um, yeah, we need to take this stuff seriously. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. One of the things I think that happened in the civil rights movement is that a lot of the overt racism was done away with, which is good. Right. <laughs> that a lot is of a the, start. A lot of the legal racism, uh, a lot of the things that were enshrined in laws that were on their face unjust those laws were changed but not all of them and certainly not all of the hearts and minds this uh this isn't one of our scriptures for this week but we did cover it a little while ago do you remember the parable about the persistent widow the squeaky wheel who demands justice she keeps demanding Mm -hmm. justice from this judge and the judge gives her justice but not because his heart has changed because he wants her to stop bugging him. Right. And sometimes I feel like that's, in a, in a way, that's a little bit what happened in the, in the American civil rights movement in the United States, is that a lot, like the overt justice, the visual justice was granted, but not because the systems changed. Right. Um a lot of people who did not live inside of those systems saw what the systems looked like and said, okay, we will, we will support this at the ballot box, or uh, we will say, yeah, it's a good thing. But everybody just wanted to move on after say the early seventies, middle-class working-class white America just wanted to move on. Yeah. Um, and we didn't want to be bothered with it. Uh, we didn't want to see racism as it still existed. And we didn't want to see that we had more work to do. Yeah. And that, in a nutshell, is why 
you and I as white pastors of mostly white congregations need to keep this issue on the front burner for our congregations. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to make sure that Martin Luther King Jr. weekend is observed in our congregations. And um, we need to be speaking out even in our bubbles. <laughs> we need to be speaking out about how this, this stuff is still persistent. It is still an issue. It just occurred to me that we haven't actually read the scriptures that we used okay. yesterday. Um, not to give anyone whiplash by changing the subject, but I, I think that it, it's relevant because I'm curious to find out then how you in your um, mm, sure. suburban, suburbanish, primarily white congregation handled the scriptures and which ones you used. And then I, I as well, uh, to share how I, how I used them. Um, what were the ones that you used this week? My scriptures this week were from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason that he might be revealed to Israel. And John the Baptist testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John the Baptist again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which, translated, means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who had heard John the Baptist speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah! which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So where I went with this was to remind everybody, first off, that we are baptized with that same Holy Spirit, and it is that Holy Spirit that completely equipped Jesus to do the work of reconciliation. And it is that same Holy Spirit that lets Jesus be united with the Father and through which we may be united with 
I, I spent a little time on the verb meno, which there is translated as remained, but is better translated as abide. And I noted that that word is so important that it appears over 40 times in the Gospel of John, the, the Greek verb uh, to abide. And the whole point of the sermon, back to our previous discussion, was that we have to abide with people who don't look like us, who come from different social classes as us, from people who have different sets of needs than ours. We have to abide with them because that's the work that Jesus did. That's the work of reconciliation to which we've been called. So that was the, the main idea behind my sermon. I went in a similar place, but I used different scripture. I actually used both the First Corinthians passage and the Psalm 40 passage. Mm. Um, I'm actually not going to read those both in their entirety now. I'm going to let people check those out in their show notes. I'm going to give a brief synopsis. But First Corinthians, it's the introduction to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Paul, or one of his secretaries writing on his behalf, is writing to the church in Corinth. And uh, he gives a pretty typical letter introduction. And then he goes on to thank God for these saints that God has put into his life. And at this, in this first part of the letter, and one of the reasons I'm not reading this whole thing is because I don't like the way that this is split up in the lectionary. Mm, I yeah. don't like I don't like how you've got the introduction, which is nice because he's thanking God for these people. And sometimes Paul's kind of rude in his letters. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those places where he's being nice and pastoral. Mm -hmm. But then it they they lop off the section where Paul is talking about why he's writing the letter. And that comes this coming week. Yeah. That comes the week after. I don't like separating the idea of Paul expressing his gratitude for these saints from the message in the next section, which mm -hmm. is that of being unified. Mm -hmm. uh, because he's expressing here his ties to them, the, the reasons that it's important they're together. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like an unnatural break in the text. Yeah. I'm sure that the lectionary committee or whoever put it together had a good reason for doing this mm -hmm. um but i don't i don't like this particular split that said um the thing that i think that is really important in this passage is that paul is implying that there is a calling that is on the whole church not just on him mm -hmm. and this calling is one to be unified not to agree on everything but to not participate in culture wars. Yes. Or I follow this guy and he's the right guy and the lady mm -hmm. you're following is, doesn't know what she's talking about, right? And and that's why I don't like this this separation of the introduction of the letter and kind of hit Paul's thesis statement, right? Which is what comes yeah. next. I think that they're they're tied together. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that was, I, I relied on that. And in 
Psalm 40, you hear this, um, boy, I went through some really terrible times and God brought me out of them. And so now I need to tell everyone about it. We get so wrapped up sometimes in telling people about where they aren't following the rules that we see in scripture, that we forget to tell them about freedom and liberation. Yeah. And, and love and, uh, how people have acted in love and rather than acting to remain in the law. That sounds awfully familiar. I think maybe there was this podcast on the Ten Commandments that talked about something along those lines. Boy, boy if there isn't, somebody ought to do that podcast because I bet there's a lot of, lot of fertile ground to cover in that. Six episodes at least. Only six? <laughs> Why not ten? If you're just now coming in to Soft Idolatry <laughs> for your first week ever, go back. <laughs> <laughs> Repent. <laughs> Re- Repent. Turn around. Uh, we might be tooting our own horns. That's been known to happen. Yeah, it has I, been known what, to happen. What I what I like is that we use different passages from the lectionary and went in both similar and dissimilar ways. Yes, with it, and all looped it back around to this idea of of justice and reconciliation. Yes, and getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. I also went on a small rant about how you should never read the uh, the comments on an online news article. <laughs> but that is neither here nor there. <laughs> no, it's not. But I'm thinking that it might be time to draw this episode to a close. I think you are probably right, my friend. But I have a really quick question for you. Shoot. Did you, did you, do you do Epiphany Star Words in your congregation? No, I have never done Epiphany Star Words before. Early... Early in our podcast, back in the Ten Commandments days, what was that, like six months ago? I'm talking like Something it was like like back in the day, right? Uh, we would we would offer a spiritual practice, and that got actually kind of hard for us to keep coming up with new ones every week, so it that's where that went. But I want to offer this spiritual practice this week as we enter into a new year together. This is our first podcast of 2020. Yay! Thanks, Captain Obvious. And... You're welcome. Uh, at least I'm the captain. <laughs> Makes you the lieutenant. <laughs> we all know who's in charge of this boat. So um, I, I want to offer up this practice of Star Wars. Epiphany uh, basically means aha moment. And uh, stars, because this is the, the epiphany is when we celebrate the wise men, the magi coming to see Jesus. So God has been revealed to the whole world. And we use these stars as a way of following Christ and reflecting throughout the year. And um, each person draws a cardboard star from a basket of stars, all with different words on them. And so in the past, I've gotten words that kind of suck, frankly. My words have been things like motivation and complete and endurance. And I don't like them. I wrestled with all of those. This year, my word is laughter. Mm. which is a it's a great word um so i ask that to ask if you have a star word or can can i give you a star word i have a random star word generator oh sorry word word not wars 
<laughs> also, yeah, Star Wars. Uh, every time I try to voice to text that, though, Siri is like, oh, you know Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, of Star Wars. Uh, I have a cold, but it's not that bad. Um, I just I just sent you a link. So as to not accuse me of cheating, click on that link. I'm, I'm curious. I just want to give you a Star Word, and we will post this in the show notes so that you all can find a word to reflect on in 2020. Endurance. No way. Way. That's that's great. I had that one before, but you can't have my notes. <laughs> I think maybe God is telling you to put up with your goofy seven Enneagram co-host <laughs> for another year. <laughs> I got to say, if our friendship has lasted this long, surely the podcast can last another year, right? Stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> you called me frankly earlier. I think we're even. Um, on that note, that may get edited out. Um, God, I hope you, so. <laughs> would you offer us a prayer? Absolutely. God of grace and mercy, in this season of Epiphany, we thank you for stars to light our way. We thank you for the bright lights that shine in our lives and in our world that help to give us direction. On this day, we thank you for the life and the work of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who shone so brightly in our world, lighting us the path toward reconciliation preaching your love for all of humanity and constantly urging us to move in that direction without violence or enmity. We ask that you keep, we ask that you continue to equip us with your Holy Spirit as we go about this holy work. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Thank you for putting up with us for another episode of Soft Idolatry. Thank you for for tuning in. Please remember, if at any point you have questions or comments, uh, please email us at info at softidolatry.com. You can connect with us on Facebook. You can support us financially through Patreon. You can check out our show notes and more at www.softidolatry.com. Hey, Alan, speaking of Star Wars. Who was speaking of Star Wars? We were speaking of Star Wars. We well, were? We were speaking of Star Wars. And uh, okay. Star Wars came up. Um, did you know that Chewbacca started a website that got him arrested? I did not know that Chewbacca started a website that got him arrested. WikiLeaks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>